If you were asked, who is the smartest person you have ever known? That's really a pretty hard, hard question to answer. Hopefully you don't think you are, okay? <laughs> but, I mean, there are people that are, I, one of the first persons that came to my mind was Stan Swinney. In years ago, he was here. He worked for NASA. He was instrumental on sending the people to the moon. While all the other scientists were saying, we need to make this uh, lunar module so that it can land in in um, three to six feet of dust on the moon because it's millions and millions of years old, he said, no, 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 there'll be about an inch and a half of dust. And they said, where do you get that? And he says, well, the Bible tells us that the earth is about 6,000 years old. And if it's 6,000 years old in our calculations, that's how much dust. And they mocked him and scoffed him a little bit. And when they got to the moon, there was about an inch and a half of dust on the moon. And not just that, but he was brilliant in it in all these calculations and science and everything. But I have met a number of individuals that in their field are brilliant. Some of them wore bib overalls as their uniforms, but they were brilliant, great minds. It's really hard to to say who's the smartest person because every individual we know, they may be excel in a certain area, they may have great knowledge in a certain area, but in another area, they may not have any or be very, very limited. Have you ever known someone, though, that thought they knew it all? Okay, don't, don't say names or anything like that, all right? But what if you did have a friend that actually knew the future. Would Of course, we know we don't, but if someone actually knew the future, would you be able to resist the temptation of going to him and saying, hey, can you tell me how, what lottery numbers win this week, you know? <laughs> you know, the reality is, we as human beings really have an insatiable desire for knowledge and for information. And, and part of that is a desire that we have for divine knowledge. We live in an age that we have more information available to us than any other people in all of history. I mean, you can just Google anything you want, whether it's the right information, you're getting information. And they are telling us now that information overload, they call it that, causes irritability and anger and listlessness and sleeplessness and health problems and a plethora of other issues. And they say it, it actually diminishes our ability to make decisions. 
So, you've gone to Amazon, you've clicked on a product, you clicked on the reviews, and there's 2012 reviews, and you start reading them. Best, best product I've ever had. And someone else said, I got this thing, and it's a piece of junk. I won't even give it one star. And, and you're thinking, oh man, I better check something else. And so, you spend however long going through this, and you still can't make a decision. Why? We, we have too much. You go, you go to the store and you want a tube of toothpaste. And there's a whole rack and aisles here. Do you want toothpaste that takes the plaque off and has fluoride and baking soda and peroxide? Or do you want the all natural toothpaste that tastes like manure but it's good for your teeth, okay? Um, I mean, and, and honestly, I, we don't realize all these choices that we have and all the information that's coming at us. And, and a number of years ago, a missionary that had been overseas in a third world country said, man, I go to the store to buy deodorant and there's all these choices. I just want a tube of deodorant. And and really, all this information isn't necessarily good for us, and yet there's a part of our world today that believes that limitless information will lead to more peace. You know, one of the results of the fall in the Garden of Eden is that men have tried to promote themselves to the status of the Almighty, and and one of the things, you can call it intellectualism, secular humanism, whatever, but there are people that believe that by learning, we can get to a stage where we're like to God, where we can create our own utopia and bring about these things. As human beings, we have a desire for knowledge, for the knowledge of the future. Why else would there still be palm readers and dream interpreters and horoscopes and prophetic words? Because people want, they want to know the future. I've always wondered, um, why every time they they draw for the lottery, why they're not saying, another psychic won the lottery today. Can you believe? If they're able to read the future, why aren't they exercising it in that? But it comes down to this. An attribute of God that is only to God is that God alone is all-knowing. A word omniscient, meaning all knowledge he has total knowledge of everything. He knows everything. God's omniscience, his knowledge of all things includes right now, of anything that is possible, of anything in the past, the present, and the future. And, and understanding this attribute is very, very important for our faith. We want to mention uh, three things about God's knowledge and then to bring out some application. Number one, God's knowledge is independent, meaning 
He cannot be taught or learn anything. Now, I don't mean it in the sense, some of you, I'll use the illustration of a dog, not a, not a child. Some of you may have had a pet that you said, that dog won't learn anything. You can't teach them anything. That's not what we're meaning here. We're meaning when someone knows everything, what are you going to teach them? You can't teach them anything. Do you understand God can never learn anything? Because he knows everything. To me, living life, one of the more exciting things about living life is the, is the opportunity to learn. I, I like learning. I, I don't mean just book learning. I like learning how to do things. And, and that's an exciting part of life. But God knows everything. Learning is foundational to we as humans. We begin learning in our mother's womb. Our five senses begin the, the process of stimulation and learning. But no one has ever taught God anything because his knowledge is complete from the beginning. Our knowledge is dependent on what we learn. Think about it. God can never be surprised. He never stands and wonders about something. He never forgets. He never has a new thought. He knows every fact about everything. So when we say the knowledge of God is independent, our knowledge is not. We had to be taught. God's knowledge is independent. No one taught him. He didn't have to learn anything because he was there from the the very beginning. He is knowledge. So we rejoice in that. Secondly, God's knowledge is infinite. He knows everything that could be known. Ours is partial. We know a tiny fragment of what could be known. As I've said, Mark Felderman said to me, there is no limit to what you don't know. And there isn't. There is no limit to what we don't know. But God knows everything. There is a limit to what he doesn't know, and it's zero. He knows everything. And and in, in understanding that, God is not merely knowledgeable. He is limited, limitless in his knowledge. I mean, there is, there is not one thing that he does not know. I mean, just just this small group that we have here today, he doesn't have to calculate to be able to say immediately how many heads, hairs are on your head. Heads are on your hairs, huh? He knows immediately. He knows that if a presidential candidate spent $500 million dollars, that 327 million citizens of the U.S. would not get a million dollars each. 
He knows that. He doesn't have to calculate it. He knows everything, and it's infinite. I mean, he knows everything that has happened, everything that will happen. Our minds can't wrap around that. But thirdly, God's knowledge is personal. The psalmist said in the passage we read, He knows me. He knows my location. He knows when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows my actions, what I'm doing. So he knows my location. He doesn't need GPS for that. He knows our location. He knows our action. Every time you sit down, every time you get up, he knows that. He knows your thoughts. He understands your thoughts afar off. The psalmist said, and he said, there is not a word on my tongue, but God, you know it. I mean, realizing this, Job said of God, God, you, you see my ways and you count my steps. That was before Fitbit. God, God knows, I mean, He knows how many steps you take. He counts your steps. He's probably saying, get up and get moving a little more there. But I mean, this is knowledge that if it was one person, we'd say, wow. But this is everybody. God told Samuel when he asked him to go anoint David as king. He said, I don't, I don't see things as other people see things. Other people look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. He knows our heart. He knows our motives. He knows every detail about us. The omniscience of God is not concentrated on one being, but it's It's on all of us, and nothing can escape the knowledge of God. And one day, we will be called into account to God. Can you imagine the pressure you would feel if you lived with someone who knew everything you were thinking all the time? Can you imagine that? I mean, in, in understanding that, God's knowledge is very, very personal to us. So, understanding, He is all-knowing. What are the applications to us? Number one, God knows all my sin. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He knows, as we said, he knows every word, every thought, every motive. He knows every action. He knows our location. We can't hide it, our sin. We can't deny it. We can't run from it. He knows us. And the reality is, he knows what we really are. You know, one of the, one of the complaints that we hear is 
there are hypocrites in the church. And anytime I hear that, I say, I agree with you. I don't deny that because it's true. But the reality is there's no hypocrites before God because God knows what every one of us are. We can fool each other. You can fool some of the people some of the time and all of the people some of the time. But you can't fool God any of the time. And he knows our sin. He knows our pride. He knows when we think, and we may not ever verbalize it, but our thought is, I can live life without God. I don't need God. He knows our evil thoughts to others. He knows every aspect of our sin, every evil thought. He knows that. And he said, whoever covers his sin will not prosper. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Whoever covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes it will have mercy. It isn't just God is a, a bully up there looking down, oh, look at that sin and look at that sin. He knows our sin and he has provided a way of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And it is only when we acknowledge and own our sin to confess is to see our sin the way God does, to agree with God. And we confess our sin. He said he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But we have to realize, first and foremost, God knows all my sin. Secondly, God knows me and he still loves me. There is no weakness of character that is going to float to the surface and suddenly surprise God and cause him to quit loving you. I mean, th- that that's a great consolation. You know, um, someone has said, Love is blind and marriage is an eye-opener, right? And and the reality, we think we know people, and then when you really get to know them, there are things, oh, hmm. And sad to say, many times there are things that people, uh, not rightly, but say, this is too much. You don't need to worry about the love of God not being committed. He knows you. He knows the deepest, darkest, most vile aspect about every one of us. And he can't be surprised. And he said, even in your sin, I commended my love toward you. Romans 5.8. And so we say... Wow, God knows me, but he still is committed to loving me. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, The Lord knows those that are his. God knows who has personally placed their trust in Jesus Christ 
and in our trusting him alone for the forgiveness of sins. And he knows those that may be playing the game, may be going along, or those that are in rebellion against God. I don't need you. I don't want you. God knows. And we may fool some people, but the day's going to come when it will be revealed what God already knows. And he reveals it for us. God knows me and still loves me. You remember the account in the Garden of Eden. And, and Adam and Eve sinned, and God came to them, and he said, Adam, where are you? God didn't ask that question for his information. God was not lost. Adam was lost. He asked that question for Adam's benefit. God already knew exactly what had happened. He knew where Adam was. And yet he pursued Adam even in that to manifest his love and promise the Redeemer in Genesis 3.15. So God knows me and he still loves me. Thirdly, God knows my sufferings. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 that we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. No one else can feel your pain, your sorrow, your burden, but God knows it. And it says he is moved by it. He knows the details of every situation you're in. And, and life presents situations that no, that you can't even verbalize to anybody. But God knows it. And He is touched. He is moved by the burdens that come into your life. And it's not like He's forgotten you. It's not like He's, He's forsaking you. Job said, the Lord knows the path that I take, and when he hath tried me, I will come forth as gold. Job Job took comfort in knowing that God knows. There come things in life that makes you feel like nobody knows, and and has God abandoned me, and and what's going on? You need to come back to the all-knowing God and say, God, it feels like you're a long way away, but I'm trusting the truth that you are an all-knowing God and you know every detail about this, and, and you know this. And that leads us to the next thing, God knows what I need. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, he says, God takes care of the, the, the birds of the air. They, they sow not, neither do they reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father provides for them. And he asks this question, are not you much better than they? He says, I know what your needs are. Elizabeth Elliot shared she was traveling in northern Wales and and happened upon 
a shepherd that was treating his sheep and and they had this large vat of dip that they'd make the sheep go in and it would protect them from parasites that would be life endangering and of course sheep would not want to go in and they had their sheep dog there herding them up and getting them in there and 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 the shepherd would be there and he'd have to immerse them in under to be fully covered and she said you you'd see the eyes of these and and the fear that was striking them like no i don't want to go under the... but the shepherd was doing this because he loved them and he was doing it to preserve their life and there are times in our life that we say i don't want this lord and yet god says trust me i know all things I know your fear, I know your need, and God says that he will meet our needs as nothing else. He comforts us in our trials, he strengthens us in our temptations, and so there is great comfort. And and resting in his care and exercise of our faith. Number five, God knows every good deed done, and he will reward it. There are going to be many, many surprises in heaven, and there are going to be people that have done many, many good things that no one else noticed. But Jesus said, you do your giving in secret, I see in secret, I will reward you openly. You do your praying, I hear it. I'll reward you openly. You do your fasting, Sermon on the Mount. He went through all these things. Your Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward you openly. God knows. And you may think, I'm praying, I'm serving, and no one notices, and no one cares, and it doesn't seem to be doing any good. God notices, and God cares, and God will reward. Your labor is not in vain, he said in 1 Corinthians 15. So be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because your labor is not in vain, because God knows. So then we ask this question. If God is all-knowing, since God is all-knowing, he is perfect in all his ways, why don't I obey him? I mean, you think about it. If we really believed God was perfect in all his ways, he knows everything, we would obey him. Have you ever played a game with a kid and you were helping them? Let's say, let's say connect four, okay? And you were helping them. And you said, if you put it right there, you'll win the game. You're whispering to them. And they go, no, I, I'm, I'm, I want to put it here. And they put it there, and then the other side plays, and they lose. And they go, I always lose. And you say, if you had put it where I, look at it. You had three there. If you had put that there, four right there. If you had put it there, you would have won. That's the exact same way with God, only we as parents aren't perfect in our knowledge. But God is perfect in his knowledge. And he says, if you really believe that, 
it wouldn't be an issue submitting to me. It wouldn't be an issue yielding to me. We saw in the class in the auditorium, Dave Ramsey was talking about financial principles, and he said, I I came to a point where I was going to quit arguing with God about his principles of finance, and I surrendered to God. You know, in every area of our life, God knows everything. He doesn't come out with plan 2.7. If we really believe God is all-knowing and, God, you are asking me to do this, why do we not do it? Because really we're on the throne, we don't really believe him, and we don't trust him. Charles Spurgeon said, suppose for a moment that Jehovah could not see the works and know the thoughts of man. Would you then become more careless concerning him than you are now? He said, I don't think so. In nine cases out of ten, and perhaps far larger, and and in a sadder proportion, the doctrine of divine omniscience, although it is believed, has no practical effect on our lives at all. The mass of mankind forget God. That's sad, isn't it? It's sad that it was true in Spurgeon's day. It's sad that it's true today. We need to come back to believing that God is all-knowing. And it would radically affect our lives. Rejoice! God is all-knowing. He knows you. He loves you. He accepts you in Jesus Christ. And he knows what's best for us. The omniscience of God should encourage our heart. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would come to grips with your omniscience, that you know everything. And Lord, I pray that we would come to grips, first of all, that you know our sin. And if there are individuals here today that have never owned their sin and brought it to you, For forgiveness through Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray today would be a day that they come to call upon you for forgiveness and their sins be forgiven. Lord, I pray for believers here today that we would truly be genuine And that we would truly believe that you are all-knowing, that you never make a mistake. And Lord, that we would submit to you. I have no idea what it may be that you're asking people to submit to you in today. But Lord, help us to rejoice that you know. And that we would be willing to submit to your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Lord, I pray for people that are going through a dark valley, perhaps in their life. Satan's whispering that that you've forgotten about them. Lord, help them to see that you know intimately their situation, that you know their frame, you know they are dust. 
You know they need you. And Lord, may you manifest your presence in their life in an amazing way. May our hearts truly be encouraged and rejoice that you are the mighty God, that you are all-knowing. And may it be reflected in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.